Welcome. My name is Dr. Jonathan Vorse, and thank you for downloading our podcast today on Working the Word. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive new podcasts every week. Thank you for your support at jvorse.org and enjoy the message today. Grab your Bible, please, and turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 140 and verse number 13. Psalms, chapter 140 and verse number 13. I'm working on my third book called Presence Driven, and um, the way that I write books, I've learned, uh, of course, all I know to do is just kind of write them like I talk, and so I make outlines, and then I go off the outlines, and this is fresh bread from heaven, I'm telling you. And this week the Lord gave me this outline. This will be the next chapter that I'll be writing. And uh, it's called Presence Driven. And we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be driven by the presence of God today. As I was putting this together, I felt the Lord just kind of nudge me. Just preach it. I said, okay, we'll do that. Amen. We'll just preach it. Thank you, Lord. Psalms chapter 140 and verse number 13 says this, Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name, the upright shall dwell in thy presence. The upright shall dwell in thy presence. Father, we just come to you right now in the name of Jesus and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together in your name and to gather around your word and to learn things pertaining to you and pertaining to your word. Touch me to be able to effectively communicate today. Even as we live stream this second service around the world, Father, I pray that those that are watching in different parts of the world and those that will watch later on within the next few hours, Father, I pray that the blessing of the Lord would be upon them, that they would receive the engrafted Word of God. Touch my lips to be as the pen of a ready writer. Touch the ears of the hearers to hear, the hearts to receive. May our understanding be enlightened today, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone that agrees with me says, Amen. Amen. Many times God shows up in unexpected places and in unexpected ways. Look at your neighbor and say, sometimes God will surprise you. Tell them that. Amen. I'm an audience participation preacher. I love it when we're able to learn through repeating. Elijah searched for God in a whirlwind, and God came to him in a whisper. Did you hear me? Elijah searched for God in a whirlwind, and God came to him in a whisper. He was looking for God in the thunder. He was looking for God in the lightning. He was looking for God in a whirlwind. And then the Bible said, after that, a still, small voice. God came to him in a whisper. Jacob built an altar and spent a lot of time talking to God, trying to get God to talk to him around the altar. He became exhausted. He fell asleep and God came to him in his dreams. No doubt, Jacob thought that God was going to come to him when he was kneeling at the altar. He probably thought God would come to him when he was making the sacrifices and speak to him. But God spoke to him after he went asleep and spoke to him through his dreams. Moses thought that his life was pretty much over. Uh, He grew up. Uh, with a silver spoon in his mouth and was trained to probably be the next military leader of Egypt. And he found an Egyptian beating uh, an Israelite slave one day and he killed the Egyptian, hit him in the sand and was ran out of Egypt. He went across the wilderness 
hooked up with Jethro's daughter, Zipporah. They had a family, and he was a shepherd to his father-in-law's sheep. And no doubt he thought that's what he would do for the rest of his life. But the Bible said that one day he noticed a bush that was burning and it wasn't consumed. And he said in his heart, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why this bush is burning and it's not consumed. And he drew near to the bush and a voice came out of the bush and said, Moses, take off your shoes for the place where you stand is holy ground. And through a series of events there, God revealed himself to Moses there and called him to go back to Egypt and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. The point that I'm trying to make here is that sometimes God comes to us in unexpected ways. Mary Magdalene was running to the tomb of Jesus because Jesus had been crucified. Think about it. She's running to the tomb of Jesus to anoint His body. She was going there and the Bible said that when she got there, she looked inside of the tomb and Jesus wasn't there and she heard a voice behind her and thinking it was the gardener, she turned around and said, What have you done with my Lord? And the gardener, what she thought was the gardener, said her name, Mary. And immediately she recognized him as Jesus. She thought he was dead, but he was alive. He was alive. So there's many times that God speaks to us, right? There's many different ways that God speaks to us. And sometimes the way that we think God is going to speak to us is totally different than the way that God will speak to us. The point that I want to drive home this morning is it doesn't matter how God communicates with you as long as He communicates. And and we need to allow ourselves to identify the presence of God. We need to allow ourselves to enter into communication with God and allow the presence of God to drive our lives forward. And that's where the term comes, presence-driven. In 2001... Alejandra was feeling suicidal after her marriage had broken down. After two years of separation, the divorce papers were drawn up and she asked her mother to watch her children so she could be alone. She sensed, her mother sensed, that she was in a dangerous place and suggested that they go shopping instead. She said, I had no energy to shop, so I stayed outside on a bench and contemplated the different ways I could end my life and stop the heartache that I was feeling. Then a woman came and sat down next to me and asked the question, Are you a Christian? To which I replied, I am. Then the woman told her, I just feel like God wants me to tell you that if you're a follower of Jesus, you are more than a conqueror in Him. Something exploded in the inside of her heart, her spiritual heart, and those words breathed life into her, and all thoughts of suicide left her, and God's unexplainable peace through His presence rushed in. And they celebrated, at the time of this story, her and her husband were celebrating their 26th year of marriage. Some years ago, this lady said, My first marriage broke down. Bewildered at how it happened and feeling abandoned, I sat in my car one day, punching the steering wheel and screaming at God. Have you ever done that? God, I don't understand. Punching the steering wheel and screaming at God and screaming in pain. Then suddenly and abruptly and startlingly, I realized that God was with me. And in all of my humiliation and all of my sorrow and anger and grief, God was still there. God 
shows up even when we don't deserve His presence. Virginia told me about a struggle she once had with an eating disorder triggered by a difficult breakup. At her worst point, she ended up in the hospital and was weighing only 80 pounds. There she met another girl who was the sickest patient in the hospital who weighed only 55 pounds. And this girl scribbled a Bible verse on a piece of paper and handed it to Virginia. That verse was Philippians 4.13 which says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Virginia says, that day I became a Christian. I got healthy and I ultimately was married and had a wonderful family and today she's living for the Lord. Story after story after story of the presence of God. Story after story after story of the Word of God and how the Word of God can change our hearts and how the Word of God can change our lives. Church, I want you to understand something today. In order for God's Word to change your life, you have to allow its entrance into your life. In order for the presence of God to be manifested in our lives, we have to allow the presence of God to have entrance into our lives. What does it mean to be presence-driven? What does it mean to allow the presence of God to change our lives? What does it mean? Well, we're going to talk about that today. There's all kinds of things that change or, or that drive us, isn't there? There's all kinds of things. Family relationships can drive us. Family conflicts can drive us. Financial problems can drive us. Even bossy Christians. Bossy Christians can drive us, can't they? Monday morning armchair mentors can drive us. What is a Monday morning armchair mentor? That's someone who can look back and say, well, you should have done this and you should have done that. Let me tell you something. Everybody can always say, you should have. All right? So don't let those people that's all the time telling you what you should have, could have, would have did or what they would have done, don't let them influence you too much. Make sure that you have godly mentors in your life, people that can talk to you about living in the presence of God. Some of the things that I want to talk about the presence of God, if we're talking about being presence-driven, some of the things I want to talk about, first of all, is the fact that God is always with us. There's a theological term called or omnipresent, which means that God is always there. Now, what we're talking about today is the manifestation of God's presence. We're talking about how that God shows up and God shows out. We're talking about when we can sense Him, we're talking about when we can feel Him. We're talking about the tangible presence of God. When we talk about the presence of God, we can say that God is always with us. That's true. Because the Bible says that He'll never leave us and He'll never forsake us and He'll be with us at all times. But today I'm talking about the presence of God that you can feel in your life. Psalms chapter 139 verses 7 through 14 we find an account in Scripture of King David. King David. The Bible says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? This is David writing. He said, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike in thee. For thou hast possessed my reins. 
Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. David learned in his lifetime of worship that it didn't matter where he fled to, that God was always there. He, he found out, I can't flee anywhere. I can't flee into the darkness because you're light. And when the light shows up, it chases the darkness away. I can't flee into the uttermost parts of the sea because you made the sea and you were there. That's where you are, God. It doesn't matter where I go, God, you are there. I want to tell you, there's no place that you can go where you'll be able to hide from God. God has His hand on you. He has His heart towards you. He has a a, a plan for your life. He has a, a passion for you. And it's very important that every single one of us allow God to interact with our life. We can't get away from Him because He loves us too much to let us go. God loves you too much to turn you loose. Look at your neighbor and say, you'll never get away from God. Tell them that. You'll never get away from God. You're not going to be able to get away from God. Another story that I learned as a child in Sunday school. I love Sunday school. Don't you love Sunday school? Another, another, another story that I learned was a story about Jonah. Let's turn uh, in our Bible, if you would, to Jonah. Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, you know, back in the last part of the Old Testament. Jonah chapter 2. The Bible says here that Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. He prayed out of the whale's belly. You say, well, the Bible says it's a fish. Yes, but then in the New Testament, it does say that it's a whale. So Jonah prayed unto God out of the whale's belly. If Jonah can pray to God from the belly of a fish, what's your excuse? Don't tell me you can't pray. Don't tell me you don't have time to pray. Don't tell me that everything has... Some people say, well, I would pray, but i, I got to have my worship music on, and i got to be in my comfortable chair, and i got to have my coffee or my tea. I have to have my Bible open on my lap. Listen, here in Jonah chapter 2, the Bible said that Jonah was crying out to God. He said, out of the belly of hell cried I. He said, the waves were compassing me about. It was utter darkness. I was at the bottom of the mountains, which meant meant that that whale didn't swallow him and just swim along the top of the ocean. It dove down to the bottoms of the mountains. And then in verse number 5, he said, there was seaweed wrapped around my head. I mean, think about it. So here he is. I don't want to be gross or anything, but probably one of the reasons he felt like he was in the belly of the hell was because the gastrointestinal juices of that whale was trying to digest him. Well, let me tell you something. The devil can't digest a praying man. He said, out of the belly of hell cried I. When my spirit was faint within me, I said, I'm going to cry out to God. That's all in Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. He said, when my spirit was faint within me, I said, I'm going to cry out to God. I'm going to cry unto His holy temple. I'm going to cry unto His holy mountain. And he cried out to God. And he said, God, you heard me. What was his testimony? His testimony was, Lord, you brought my life back up out of corruption. Lord, when my soul fainted, you still heard my prayer. Lord, you delivered me out of the belly of hell and the fish vomited him up as the fish vomited him up on dry ground. I want to tell you something. When you pray, 
When you pray, when you have communication with God, when you allow God to communicate back with you, you are never wasting time. Let me say it like this. You never waste time when you pray. You never waste time when you pray. The Bible says we're supposed to pray without ceasing. Does that mean we're supposed to walk around and say, Oh God, I praise you. Oh God, I worship you. Oh God, I'm 24 hours a day. No. Prayer literally means communication with God. We stay in communication with God. That means we're in a place where when God tries to communicate with us, we recognize that His presence is ringing our bell. We recognize that God is trying to get our attention because we are in active communication with the Lord. Now, we discover God's plan for our lives by living in the presence of God. We can discover God. Some people come to me sometimes and they say, well, what's the plan of God for my life? Well, my answer to them is, I can't tell you what the plan of God is for your life. All I can do is I can give you suggestions. I can tell you what I think it might be, but I cannot call you. That's what's wrong with some people in the pulpits today. Their mama called and daddy sent. The problem with mama called and daddy sent, that usually equates to not anointed. Listen, God has a plan for your life. Look at your neighbor and say, God has a plan for you. Tell them. Tell them, say, God's got a plan for you. Sometimes we need to hear that. You say, well, I know that, but sometimes we need to hear it. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your life. And the way you discover that plan is you live in the presence of God. So when people come to me and they say, well, I don't know what the plan of God is for my life. I just, I've tried and tried and tried for a long time to try to figure out what the presence of God or what the plan of God is for my life. And what they don't understand is they're telling on themselves. Because what they're telling me is I'm not spending very much time with God. Because if you spend time with God, then you know how God works. If you spend time with God, then you know what His heart is towards you. If you spend time with God, then you know what the passion of God's heart is. And I can promise you this, the plan of God for your life is found somewhere in the passion of God for the lost of the world. That's true, the plan of God for your life. So God has a plan for your life. So how do I discover that plan? I spend time with God. Now let me say it like this, I can't spend your time with God for you. You have to spend your time with God yourself. If you want to discover the plan of God for your life, you have to spend time yourself with God. I love spending time with God. But listen, it's all I can do to keep myself on track serving God, worshiping God, making sure that I'm right with God, making sure that I have something great to to, to feed to you every Sunday. God has a plan for you. He has a plan for your life, but you have to discover that. And the only way you can discover that is by spending time in the presence of God. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17 says this, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So the plan of God for your life is found in the will of God for your life. 
The plan of God for your life is found in the will of God for your life. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 27, the scriptures tell us that Jesus will pray to the Father according to His will over us. It says this, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Now here's something that I love here. Walking with God activates the will of God in our lives. I was in Juniper, New Brunswick, Canada, early on in ministry in the late 80s. And I was preaching a message in, uh, of all things, a oneness church, what they call a Jesus-only church or a UPC church, the only baptized in Jesus' name and whatnot. And the Lord spoke to me and He says, In this revival, I want you to preach about walking with God. And I said, well, okay, that's a great message. So I got up and I preached about walking with God. And that first night, I preached everything I knew because I was young, you know. I was still uh, late teens, early 20s. And so I just preached everything I knew about walking with God. I said, oh, praise God, that's wonderful. Thank you, Lord, for helping me preach that message. People gave their lives to Christ. It was a, a great service. Then the next day, I'm crying out to God and I'm saying, God, what do you want me to minister to, to them about tonight? And the Lord spoke to me and He says, I want you to preach to them about walking with God. I said, Lord, I preached everything I knew about walking with God last night. And then the Lord spoke to me and He said, Okay, now today I'm going to teach you and let me preach through you tonight. I said, I thought that's what I did last night. I studied and I studied and opened the scripture and studied and studied and the, God, the Lord began to show different things to me about walking with God and things like that. And by the end of the revival, I preached five nights on walking with God. And by the end of the revival, I came to the conclusion that though it was a great revival for the church, the revival was more for the evangelist than it was for the church. I want to tell you something. When you learn how to walk with God, when you let God put a hunger in you, when you let God put a desire in you, when you let, a God, when you let God put a passion inside of you for, the law, for lost people, it'll change the way you see the world. It'll change the way you treat the world. It'll change the way you see other people. It'll change the way that you treat them. And God will use you to change your world. Walking with God. Walking with God. Jesus will help us walk with God. Walking with God activates the will of God in our lives. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 2. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in His body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Well, I just want things my way, then pray until you want things God's way. Did you hear me? I got to have what I want. Then pray until your heart says, I want to help God get what He wants. And I'll tell you what, God will never lead you down a path. He'll let nev never lead you down a path where, uh, where you'll be embracing things that are bad for you. No, God will lead you down a path where you'll be winning the loss. God will lead you down a path where you'll be mentoring young people. God will lead you down a path where you'll be making disciples. Jesus didn't call us to make converts. He called us to make disciples. 
The greatest move of God that's taking place in the world today, this is going to shock some of you, but the greatest move of God that's taking place in the world today is in the country of Iran. In the country of Iran, I watched a video on this. I, had, I, had, I watched it. It was two hours. I said, i got to get my mother-in-law. She's got to watch this. And we were watching this video together. And they were saying, Iran puts a different face on to the world than what it is. They said, if you go inside of Iran, the mosques are empty. There are people that are going after God by the hundreds of thousands of people in the nation of Iran. And they're doing it without church buildings. And they're doing it without spiritual superstars that they can point at. They're doing it without Christian television. You know how it's happening? It's happening through a grassroots movement of discipleship. And I heard one of those little evangelists make the statement. He said this, and this is what really got me to thinking about it. He said, God didn't call us to make converts. He called us to make disciples. And we've discovered here in Iran that if you get busy making a disciple, then a disciple will produce a convert. But a convert won't always produce a disciple. Think about that. What is a disciple? A disciple of Jesus is a fully developing follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the amazing thing about that move of God in Iran, and I'm off track here, but the amazing thing about it is its leaders are mostly women. Isn't that amazing? Neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. God's called us all to be one in Him. So, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but they live their lives... For the will of God, according to the will of God. You know that you are a God-pleasing disciple when your life is wrapped up trying to please God instead of yourself. Amen? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, that's hard truth. truth. Real talk. The last main thing that I want to share with you here this morning is this. The active. Somebody shout active. active. Yes, the active presence of God in our lives produces many things. The presence of God will become as active as you let it be. God will move for you as much as you let Him. The active presence of God in our lives produces many things. It's hard for some people to understand, but way before we ever got here nine and a half years ago to this church, we had a very strong and very fruitful ministry for many, many years. This is the fourth church that the Lord's allowed us to pastor And there are many, 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 many churches that we've been involved in planting throughout the years. And so we're grateful. And so we're thankful for that. And so we had fruitful ministry even way before we were on television before we came here. We were on radio before we came here. We had internet presence before we came here. Uh, We had pastored many churches. We had raised, we have people that had raised up and are pastoring churches and doing ministry way before we ever came to this church. And we had a strong and fruitful ministry many years before we ever came to this church. And we tried and proved God over and over. But I want to tell you something. There have been times in all of those years of ministry, there have been times when we've had our question. That's true. Have you ever wondered about things? I've noticed, here's what I've noticed through the years. I've noticed that the questions tend to surface more frequently when we fall out of consistent fellowship with God. When you quit praying like you're supposed to pray, 
when you quit reading the Word like you're supposed to read the Word, when you quit fellowshipping with brothers and sisters like you're supposed to, when you quit doing those things, then the questions become more frequent and they become louder inside of you. Let me tell you something. Let me try to help you with something. The Bible said we walk by faith and not by sight. If God gave us the answer to all of our questions, there would be no reason for faith. There are just some things about God that we will not understand on this side of eternity. There are decisions that God makes. There are people that we pray for to get healed that haven't gotten healed and we don't understand why. There are people that we prayed for to give their lives to Christ and they haven't and and we don't understand why. There's tragedy that we've all went through and we don't necessarily understand why. But we walk by faith, not by sight. I learned a long time ago to quit living for what God can do for me and start living for what He has done for me on Calvary. Now let me say it it like this. You'll never completely understand God because according to the Scripture, His ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That means that the way God reasons things out is at a totally different level than how we reason things out. So I encourage people, quit trying to figure God out. Celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary, His death, burial, resurrection, and His soon return. And just let the chips fall where they are. Just serve God. Just fall in love with God and serve God. You say, well, I just don't think that I can do that. How many of you are married to a woman? Enough said. How many of you are married to a man? Enough said. Do you understand everything about your spouse? Come on now, I'm not trying to get you men in trouble. We're going to have a prayer line for all of the wounds you're getting ready to get here at the end of the service. But I listen, I've been married to Donna for almost 30 years. January the 27th, it'll be 30 years. There are still some things about her that I cannot for the life of me understand. Why? Why? Mark, you're not married. You've never been married. You're hollering, preach. You don't know nothing about it, buddy. My goodness. And I told my wife, I said, right about the time I thought I had you figured out, then here came that midlife thing. I said, God just wants to keep us. And then the Bible doesn't tell the wives to dwell with their husbands according to understanding. The Bible tells the husbands, dwell with your wives according to understanding. That means, why did God tell us to do that? Because we have to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying and keep trying to understand her. Because they're constant, God created them this way to constantly be changing and to constantly be growing. Listen, your wife, I'm getting off track again, but your wife is the, is the most wonderful gift that God has ever given you. Whatever you give your wife, whatever you give her, she just builds on it and makes it better. That's right. Okay, I'm stopping. So you'll never completely understand God. And just like you don't completely understand your spouse and still love them, it's possible for you to not completely understand God 
and still loved him. Does that help you understand better? Being presence-driven keeps us on track. The active presence of God in our lives produces many things. It keeps us on track. In Exodus chapter 18, Moses' father-in-law, now listen to this. Moses' father-in-law Jethro brought an offering and other sacrifices to God. And the Bible said that Aaron and the elders of Israel got together with Moses. Now listen to this. This is what the Bible says. It says they ate a meal together in the presence of God. They ate a meal together in the presence of God. When's the last time God showed up at your table? What is, what is God trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us that even when you sit down to eat at Chick-fil-A or drive your car through Starbucks and your son-in-law in the car behind you buys your coffee like he did last night. boy, Luke. That God is there. He's interested in the minute details of your life. So what was the result of this? Aaron and Moses and the elders of Israel and Jethro, all of them getting together and eating a meal in the presence of God. What came out of that meal? Well, God brought unity to the leadership so they could structure a journey through the wilderness into the promised land. In Luke chapter 1 in verse number 19, the priest Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist, the priest Zechariah was notified by the angel Gabriel, who the Bible specifically says, stood in the presence of God that his wife was pregnant with the forerunner of the Messiah. What was the result? Zechariah needed a sign. He was struck mute until the baby was born. Through his muteness, Zechariah became convinced that his baby was the forerunner of the Messiah and that he would preach in the power of Elias. That's what the Word of God says. Acts chapter 10 and verse number 33, we find where Cornelius told Peter and all of the Jews that the Gentiles were there, quote, in the presence of God, unquote, to hear what he had to say. Why did he say it like that? Well, I think it's because the Jews were like, I thought that this move of God was just for the Jews only. But God had already spoken to Peter at Simon the Tanner's house on the rooftop when he gave him the vision of the piglets coming down and told him, rise Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, I can't, I can't do that, they're unclean. And God said, don't call what I've made common or unclean. And then the Lord let him know after three times that happened, the Lord let him know there's going to be someone knock on the door, you're to go with them. And he went with them and some Jews went and they went over to Cornelius' house which was a Gentile soldier's home. And they went over there to his house and Cornelius looked at him and the Jews and said, us Gentiles are here, quote, in the presence of God, unquote, to hear what you have to say. Because earlier today I was praying, Peter, and an angel stood and said to go get you. What was the result? The Bible said as Peter preached, the Holy Spirit fell on all of them that heard the word. And the Jews marveled that upon the Gentiles was also poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible said, they said, Who can forbid water that these folks would be baptized? The presence of God. The presence of God. And then the last scripture that I'm sharing with you today is in 2 Timothy chapter 4. When God used the Apostle Paul to give Timothy his charge for his life and for his ministry. And the Bible said that he did it in the presence of God. In the presence of God. 
what was the result? Timothy became the pastor of the church at Ephesus, which is where we get the book of Ephesians from. That was an epistle written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. Timothy was his pastor. And that church became a very strong church doctrinally, and they also became a strong church in the support of missions around the world. What are you saying, Pastor? You know what I'm trying to say? Let God's presence activate in your life. The active presence of God will change you. The active presence of God changes the way we see things. It changes the way that we feel things. It changes our thought processes. What if every day this week we got up and before we really got started, we just reminded ourselves, God is with me today. Hmm? What if at lunch today and tomorrow and the rest of the week, as we're preparing to have our meal, what if we just allowed ourselves to remember God's been with me all morning and He's going to be with me all afternoon too. And what at dinner, what if at dinner we remember God's there and what if at night when we laid our head down to rest we realized He gives His beloved sleep. He watches over me. He takes care of me. He's there. He's there. The presence of God is there. The presence of God will produce when nothing else produces. The presence of God will help you discover the will of God for your life. The presence of God will bring peace when there's chaos all around you. He sets up a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He's not setting it up to look at. He's saying, sit down and eat. I got this. I got this. God's got your back. But you got to let him have your back. You got to let him have your back. Let's all stand. Thank you for listening to Dr. Jonathan Vorse on Working the Word. We appreciate your love and support. Visit www.jvorse.org to give a gift today. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your day. Always remember the Word will work if you work the Word. Be blessed.